Welcome to GM tonight. How are we doing? Sounds great. You excited to read your word tonight? Maybe for some of you it's the first time all week. I hope not. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, the first, uh, sorry, the fourth Gospel. The fourth Gospel, the Gospel, the good news according to John, the Apostle John. It's the uh, fourth book of the New Testament. It's the 43rd book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. You there? John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Fourth gospel. Checking with you. How many are thankful for your Bible? The Bible is the primary source of revelation to lead us to Jesus, the one who is life. Let me say that again. The Bible is the primary, it's not the only, it's the primary source of revelation to lead us to Jesus, the one who is life. It in and of itself is not spiritual life. Some of you think I just blaspheme, but I'm trying to speak the truth tonight. You just reading your Bible will not give you life. You quoting scripture will not give you life. You memorizing scripture will not give you spiritual life. You just sitting there and meditating on the Bible will not in and of itself fix your internal need for life's functioning inside of you. In other words, you just reading a book that says Holy Bible on it isn't going to do you any good if you're not intentionally pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. So the Bible is the primary source of revelation to lead us to the person, Jesus Christ. You with me? The Bible's purpose is to point us to the person of Jesus. Don't read your Bible unless you're looking for Jesus. Don't read your Bible unless you want to know Jesus. Don't read your Bible unless you're intentionally and specifically trying to get to know the person of Jesus and how you ought to relate with him. If you read it from that perspective, you will have intimate fellowship with the person, Jesus Christ. If you read it, to read it, to quote scriptures, so that when you're in a tough time and you quote a scripture, because you just need to quote it, because, you know, the word is my lamp that unto my feet. Well, the word is a lamp unto your feet to lead you to Jesus. It's not a lamp unto your feet so you can learn to do good things and walk in good things. So the Bible teaches you to be a better person. The purpose of the Bible is to lead you to the person, Jesus Christ. So I'm thankful for my Bible, because God gave this word so that I might know him more perfectly and how I ought to relate with him. Some of you have been taught to read your Bible because it'll help you be a better person. You might as well just go to the self-help section at the airport. There's a lot of those, because I was traveling recently. You might as well just go to the self-help section and read a book to help you become a better you, because that's all the Bible is going to do for you if you're not reading it to know Jesus Christ. There's a, Gabriel, how do you say the primary source? That must mean there's other sources. There are. Another source is when the sun sets, it points you to the glory of God. And it shows you that there is none like him. There is no way that that sun is, can be so beautiful when it sets without a creator. Creation in and of itself is natural revelation that shows us Jesus Christ. There's others also, but 
I'm just talking about the word. John chapter 10, you there? So the purpose of reading the scripture tonight is for us to come to know Christ Jesus. Jesus is here, and he's alive, and he wants to make himself known, and he wants to be known and seen, and he wants to be experienced by you. Not by an elephant, thank God. Not by a donkey, not by a tree. His focus is humanity. And tonight, he wants us to meet with him. And so tonight, my desire is to make him known through the foolishness of preaching this good news about Jesus. Amen? Okay, John chapter 10, we're going to start in, verse, uh, start in verse 1. Start in verse 1. We've been going through the Gospel of John. Uh, I, started, I started in John 1, taught from John 1. Uh, Andrew taught from John 11. Uh, and then I taught from John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is at the, uh, the, the, the wedding, right? In Cana, Cana of Galilee. And, uh, and he heals, or sorry, he turns the water into wine. This idea that Jesus is the one who transforms ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. Then I went to John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's the first I am statements Jesus makes. Jesus makes seven of them in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, we find seven times Jesus relates himself with the God of Israel, calling himself God. Whenever he said it, the, the, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because he was saying, I am and that was words were, was, was using the word in Aramaic, Yahweh, which simply was Jesus saying, I am the God of Israel who led the people out of Egypt, who was the cloud uh, by day to lead the people of God in the fire by night. I am Jesus Christ. I am God. I am the only one, anointed one, sent by God. Jesus was saying, I'm God. And seven different times he makes these statements about who he is as God that meets our every need. And Jesus, in a nutshell, in this gospel of John, is trying to show us how he is everything that we need. That we were, that we were simply made for the very purpose of knowing Jesus. That, that, that simply alone, you were, you were made to know him. Not to become a better person. Not to, not to be a better person at, at walking in the gifts that he gave you. Just simply to know him. Gabriel, how can you say that? Because eternal life is knowing Jesus. The purpose of you on earth is to know Jesus. The purpose of you in heaven one day is simply to know Christ. And part of that knowing is you worshiping and praising him. And you know why you're still on earth? You're still on earth to make him known. That's the only reason why you're here, to sum it all up. Let's sum it all up. It's just to make him known by loving people and telling them about Jesus. So I just summed up for you what you were made for. You were made to know Jesus Christ, and you were made, and you live on earth to make him known. In a nutshell, there's your purpose. And everything, let it fall to the side and become meaningless and as dung as poop, as Paul says, compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Amen? So John, four, John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then I preached uh, uh, two weeks ago from John uh, chapter 8, uh, the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And, uh, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Remember that story? This idea that if you uh, come to the light, in other words, if you're in sin, you're hiding behind uh, 
whatever, and you're hiding from God in the darkness, that if you come to the light simply, coming to the light simply means confessing your sin. When you come to the light, you stand in the light, the mercy of God washes away all of your sin. And God himself embraces you and brings you into his family as his own child. And if you stay in the light, you have fellowship with God and one another. If you stay in this place of confessing your sin and your wrong and you're nothing apart from God. And you begin to confess your weaknesses. And you begin to boast in those things that you are not. And those things that you are. Uh, in that light is where you find a relation with God and each other. And then Jesse, I heard uh, my friend and brother and cousin Jesse. Man of God, where's Jesse? He just did this skit here a moment ago. He preached last week. How many here last week and received from, from Jesse and the ministry? Jesse is... A man of God, he loves Jesus, he loves people, he loves studying and reading his word, and uh, I'm sure that you guys had an awesome time, those of you who were here last week, to receive from him. If you didn't, you can get it on podcast, by the way, it is on podcast. Uh, our youth ministry is on podcast. If you've ever wondered, I don't think we've announced this in about a year or two years, but uh, we do have podcasts. If you just go to iTunes and you go to the podcast section, you type in uh, Generation Ministries, or you can even type in my name. Either one doesn't really matter, but uh, Generation Ministries will come up and you can subscribe and become uh, a podcast listener to our youth ministry and hear all the amazing uh, ministry that comes from, from this pulpit from various and multiple different preachers. Sound good? So, and now tonight we're talking about Jesus and he calls himself the good shepherd. You ready? Let's go. Verse one. We're, we're in a series kind of, uh, the real Jesus. We're trying to find out who Jesus really is all because we want to know him. Amen. Okay. Most assuredly, Jesus saying, truly, uh, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, uh, by the door, uh, let me start, start over. Let me, from, from chapter 9, what just happened, let me set up context a minute here, and I'll set up context again later. But just context for the sake of what, where we're coming from. Uh, Jesus just got done. He walks into a city, sees a blind man. His disciples say, is this uh, guy blind because of his mother's sin or because of his sin, his parents' sin or his sin? Jesus says, neither. Uh, he's, he's, he was born blind so that I might reveal my glory. And that's a whole other message. But the point is this. Jesus uh, comes to the guy. And the guy's blind. Uh, Jesus spits. He's a man. He spits in the dirt and he makes mud. Part of that actual passage where it says Jesus spat was John wanting his readers to realize Jesus was not just a spirit, but he's a real man and he could spit saliva out. Okay, but anyway. And so Jesus spits not just a man, I'm not saying man as in masculinity, I'm saying man as in human being, but whatever. <laughs> He's a man. You've seen Titanic? Where he's trying to teach her how to spit. Okay, so he spits in the dirt and he picks up the, and he makes clay and he rubs it in the guy's eyes. And then Jesus says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam or something like that. And uh, or the pool of, uh, what do you say? Go wash in Siloam, yeah. The pool of Siloam. He does, boom, dude's eyes are healed. People are freaking out. Isn't that the guy that was born blind and now he can see? Uh, it looks like him. Kinda. Dude, that's totally him. That's the guy. So they bring him to the priests and the leaders of that day and they go to him and, and uh, gosh, Ashley, I've realized my wife tells me I'm really bad at making long stories short. I have a tendency of making, 
uh, uh, short stories long and long stories longer. And so just bear with me. I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. Lord help me. But um, anyway, and so uh, dude gets healed. How can I sum it really quick? And uh, the Pharisees and the leaders are like, how can this guy call himself a man of God if he works on the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest where the Jewish people were not supposed to do anything, literally barely even walk more than like 50 feet. And so because Jesus sought this guy out and healed him, he was working. And so they were upset at him. So they go to the cat that got healed. He was a guy, but cat, proper, uh, custom. Anyway. Uh, gets healed, goes to him, and they're like, who did this? And he's like, this guy named Jesus, I don't even know. Like, and they're like, you're telling us that this guy's legit? And he's like, yes. And so they excommunicate him. Because uh, he received, uh, his eyes were healed. So they excommunicate the guy. Jesus hears the excommunicate, so Jesus seeks them out, talks to him, finds out the guy calls Jesus the Son of God. He gets he gives his life to Jesus, calls him Lord and Master. In that moment, he realizes that he's a child of God. And then the Pharisees ask uh, Jesus, are we blind also? And uh, so Jesus teaches in John 10. You have to remember that these uh, go together. John 10 is in another day, a different day than John 9. Uh, John 10 is in a, a whole other setting than John 9. This is actually, Jesus starts teaching in verse 41. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus is simply saying this. Because you're not willing to confess your sin, that tells me that you are blind that knowing that I am God. In other words, Jesus is saying this. I'm just breaking down layers. Jesus is saying this. Because you don't realize that I'm God, that tells me that you're not a child of God and that you won't confess your sin. But if you confess your sin and you call me Lord and God, that tells me the Father has opened your spiritual eyes to see that I am God. And so then Jesus continues to teach. He goes, now look, I'm telling you, that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the, the, uh, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door. I'm sorry, I can't get over this. For they did not know the voice of strangers. I'm just thinking of the movie Sixth Sense. That was a crazy, crazy movie. Where was I? Okay, John chapter 10, verse 7. Okay, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, I am. Again, uses the I am statement, claiming his divinity. And then he says, the door of the sheep. All who ever come, uh, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal 
and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus says, have come that they, the sheep, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11. I, Jesus again uses an I am statement twice in a few verses. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling or a hired servant or a hired man, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, keyword own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. A lot of sheep tonight. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says it again. I know my sheep and am known by my own. Jesus says, I know them and they know me. You with me? As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and the other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. Jesus is not talking about sheep on Mars or sheep on Venus or sheep in Saturn. Jesus is talking about people of God that were not currently in the sheepfold that he one day will grab and bring them in. I am one of the sheep that he's talking about right there. There's this one guy named Gabriel Webb who will one day be in the sheepfold, but he's not here yet. That's kind of what he's saying. There's, there's a church in Anchorage, Alaska that I'm going to build. I'm going to bring them into the sheepfold, but not yet. You hear what I'm saying? So he's talking about us. It's pretty cool. He says, I, I must bring them. He goes, I must bring them in and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd, he says. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one else takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. See, you got to realize nobody uh, murdered Jesus. Uh, Jesus laid his life down for you. Nobody forced Jesus on the cross. He willingly put himself up on the cross for you. It wasn't because a Roman soldier made Jesus put on the cross. It was because Jesus chose to willingly put himself on the cross. You follow me? He says, nobody can take it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. In other words, he's saying, I have the power to die and to rise again. This command I received from my Father. Bear with me. We're almost there. For some of you, this is the most Bible reading you've done all week, and this is really good. So, okay, verse 19. Therefore, there was a division... Again, among the Jews, because of these sayings, and many of them said, he has a demon and is crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jump down. Oh, 22. Now it was a feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then, Jesus, then Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? Dear Jesus, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them in American, English, Alaskan accent. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Jesus said it very, very clearly. You're not my sheep. That's why you don't know. I said it to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? They shall never perish. They shall, that's a good promise. They shall never perish, 
and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He makes this bold declaration, and I and my Father are one. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? And ask, ask the Holy Spirit to show us who is the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us who is Jesus, who is God, who who are you? Father, tonight we approach you, we draw near to you, we come to you, and God, we ask and we pray that by your Spirit you would lead us, God, and that you would guide us into truth, and that you'd reveal to us the person of Jesus, you'd reveal to us the Son of God, you'd reveal to us the only, one and only, Good Shepherd. Reveal to us Him and teach us what it means to be a sheep in the hands of a shepherd. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's some good, isn't that some good Bible reading? How many are blessed already from the promises that Jesus makes? See, this is really good. And now what Jesus is wanting to do is to really reveal to us more in depth of what it means for him to be the good shepherd and what it means for us to be his sheep. That sound good? I just had, a, uh, <clears throat> I just had an awesome uh, time. I, I, I just went to California, Ash and I, and Zayden. I uh, just went to California to visit uh, uh, Ashley's a girlfriend, because I have a girlfriend. No, uh, Ashley's girlfriend uh, down there in California. And uh, we're, we've been friends for a few years. Ashley met her in, in school down there. And so she's going to Thailand uh, to do a, uh, there's sex trafficking like crazy in Thailand. Uh, kids from the ages of 6 to even up to 16 years old, starting, I think, the youngest now, they're saying five years old. Uh, they find any male or female that are virgins, and they put them in the sex trade. And uh, there's millions of them there now that are in the sex trade. And there's a Christian organization called Zoe. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word that means life. And they're coming into Thailand uh, to bring liberty to those that are bound in, in sex trade. And this woman who's... Uh, who would be a perfect target, to be honest and to be frank, of somebody who would be put in a sex trade, doesn't consider uh, her comfortable life in California as something to be held on to, but she sells herself because she feels called by God to be sent to Thailand and to go into uh, places where women are sold into sex trafficking, and she literally is working with the government and other organizations to bring people out and bring them into safe homes where they find Jesus Christ and get saved. And so that's what, that's what she's doing. We just sent her off. We were to spend time with her and encourage her. She's going by herself uh, to, to be with people for an entire year. And she got a year visa. She's got a one-way ticket. And uh, so by God's grace, God's going to do some awesome things to her. But we had an awesome time with her, an awesome time in the sun, awesome time with each other. Ash and I had a really good time with each other and shared a lot of life and laughter. And Zayden, uh, great time. Uh, he just likes to make ruckuses where he goes. Uh, anyway, everywhere we went, he had a ball. He just uh, tends to have uh, balls. Um, and uh, <laughs> everywhere he goes... Uh, he takes, like, it's like, like literally this morning, I picked him up, and he woke up out of bed, and, uh, and um, I was not insinuating anything by that earlier, <laughs> seriously. I have a tendency of saying the worst things, just, and totally unintentional, but anyway, um, so Zayden, uh, he wakes up this morning, literally pulls his pacifier out, throws it across the room, and goes, ball, 
Like, that's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He, and we were in the, uh, the airport. We went, we, when we landed, oh, sorry, when we, the morning of uh, Friday uh, the 2nd or whatever, uh, we were at the airport here in Anchorage. And, and Zayden was pointing out balls on everything. Like, it, anything that looked round was like, like a god to him. It was it's really weird. We're going to have to deliver him when he gets older from, from worshiping balls. But anyway, so he, uh, he finds, he finds a, a ball on his bag, and he, and he grabs it, and he's just throwing it at every person and everything that he sees. And, and, and everybody comes up to him like, man, you got to put this guy in the major leagues right now. Sign him up, you know. And, and he's just, his head's getting big, you know, because he knows they're just flaunting him. And he's just like, oh, man, you know. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but anyway, he, he's, he, we get on the airplane. And, and to Zayden, uh, everything becomes a ball uh, if he can throw it. And so uh, he grabs this toy. It's a toy cell phone. If, ever he, if he ever hears a ring, he goes, huh? And he, he, does, he does it, huh? You know, and, and so I play with him all the time, like ring, ring, ring. He's like, huh? Like he'll stop everything he's doing. Well, he has this toy cell phone, and he's playing with it, huh? You know? And there's this person sitting behind him and trying to relate with him and play with him and stuff like that. And so Zayden stands up in the chair, and he's looking back there, and he grabs his toy cell phone and throws it at the guy, you know? Because that's what kid, good kids do on airplanes, you know? Ash and I were thrilled. We're so thankful he threw the, the toy. It's a really good thing to the, the trip just began, and, and here we are, and our son's throwing things at people behind us. It's going to be a great trip. Uh, babies already have great reputation on airplanes anyway, so we're just like, hey, what's, what, what's, what's the big deal? You know, he's just throwing a plastic toy at somebody. Well, it, thank God it doesn't hit the guy in the head, but it, it hits the guy's glass of beer that is on his table, and it spills all over him and the person next to him and the person next to him, and and Zayden just thinks he accomplished everything. He's just like, you know, and they jump up like, oh, no. And, you know, and uh, we flew two hours after that with those people. No, they actually, they, they were actually very kind and, and generous. They didn't, they didn't kill me uh, or anything, or Zayden <laughs> for that matter. Uh, they were totally, uh, totally cool. But anyway, beside the point, uh, Zayden has this problem with balls. And, uh, and throwing things and, and anything that looks like a ball. It's kind of his safe, his safe haven. And that's my question tonight is what is your ball in, in life? <laughs> He's saying it right now. What, but what, seriously though, what is your ball? What is that thing that when you wake up in the morning you look to? Who is that person that you wake up in the morning you look to? Who is that thing that you long to look to and to be with? What is your ball in your life? One day Zayden will realize that life is not all about a ball, and, uh, and God will open the, his blind eyes and, and, and convert his soul and regenerate his spirit, and he'll become born again and, and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and he'll begin to proclaim and make Jesus known. But in the meantime, he's bound and stuck in the slavery of sin. And by God's grace, Ash and I will love him and bless him and comfort him and be Jesus to him. But what is your ball? Awesome story here in John chapter uh, 10 of Jesus talking about himself. I love it when Jesus talks about himself because I'm like really wanting to know what he's saying. But let's, let's, let's look at this, this uh, picture, this illustration of a shepherd. 
of sheep, of a gate, of a sheepfold, of, uh, of hirelings, of wolves, of robbers and thieves. Okay, sound good? It's, it's a picture of Jesus uses an illustration. He's not using this illustration from our current day perspective. So when Jesus talks about sheep then, he's not talking about how we relate with sheep today. You with me? He's talking about how they relate with sheep then. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's set the context. You with me? You want me to set the scene real quick? So this is the simple scene. <clears throat> People had sheep back in the day. We don't have sheep. We don't just carry sheep wherever we go. That'd be weird. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I brought Billy Goat and... Uh... <laughs> Billy just laughed. Yes. I was hoping that. I was hoping for that one. No, that would be weird. I don't got time to go into the, to that. But anyway, so everybody, most people had sheep. A lot, sorry, not most, but a lot of people had sheep. And what they would do is at the end of the night, at the end, sorry, at the end of the day, they all would bring uh, their sheep to a kind of a master or a, um, a center uh, sheepfold or pen where all the sheep from the city would go into a gated area. Uh, uh, a gated area where they would come and they would be protected throughout the night. So throughout the day, uh, the owners, the masters of the sheep would whatever lead their sheep throughout to get food. And then at nighttime, they would pay somebody who would watch the sheep at night. And so a bunch of people would come together and they would all entrust their sheep into one person who would watch their sheep during the night. And the person's job at nighttime was, of course, to fight off wolves and, and robbers and thieves and anybody. His job was to make sure that those sheep were kept and, and there's nothing that would ever go wrong with them. That makes sense? And so there's a in, the, in, a, in any given community, there was kind of one central place where all the sheep in the city would come together at night. In the morning, what would happen is that the leader or the, sorry, not the leader, but the owner of each uh, specific group of sheep, so each sheep, each flock uh, would come in. So if there was six different owners with 30 uh, different sheep each, that would be how many? 180, right? So say there's 180 sheep, and six of them come in, we're doing math, and uh, they come to get their sheep. What they would do is one by one, they would come to the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, the one who stood at the door and would not let anybody in except those who owned the sheep. So only those who owned the sheep. It couldn't be somebody who knew somebody who owned the sheep. It could only be the person who purchased and bought the sheep himself. And only he could go to the doorkeeper and say, hey, uh, can I get my sheep in the morning? And what they would do is he would say, yes, he would let them in. They would go in. And most shepherds or most people who owned sheep um, had a very intimate <laughs> sounds weird, but a very intimate relationship with their sheep in such a way and so far that they actually uh, gave them names, just like we give uh, dogs and cats uh, names today. Uh, they gave their sheep names, and so each of them had their own name. And so when a shepherd or a master or owner of the sheep would walk into the sheepfold, the master uh, sheepfold where all the sheep in the community came, and he would call them by name. When he came into the morning, he would call them by name, and when they heard his voice... They would turn and they would come to him. Just like if you have a dog, uh, cats usually don't, but if you have a dog uh, and you call it by name, it usually hears, right, and it turns and follows you. The same uh, thing happens, happened back then. And what they would do is he would wait till all the sheep came, and once they all came, he would lead them out of the sheep pen and go bring them into good pasture all day. Does that make sense? Very simple. One last thing about what happened then is currently today, um, 
sheep are usually driven by dogs, uh, usually uh, sometimes like a German shepherd, but other types of dogs as well. Um, uh, uh, shepherds will use dogs to drive sheep. Uh, back then, they never did that. They had a shepherd who would literally walk, and wherever he walked, the sheep would just follow. They had no need of driving sheep, of pushing sheep, of, of, of uh, thrusting or making sure sheep stayed. The shepherd would just walk, and the sheep would follow. And so Jesus uses this illustration to describe to us who he is. The shepherd uh, was somebody that was the primary source of food, the primary source of protection, the primary source of belonging, the primary source of direction, the primary source of security, the primary source of family. Uh, The shepherd was, uh, to a sheep, everything. A lot of times people have said that uh, God uses this illustration to say that we're stupid because sheep are stupid and that God's just amazing. And it's very true. God is amazing. But in no way was Jesus saying that we're stupid and that, that we're just like, bah, you know, just like, like a bunch of robots. There's, in no way was that the intent of Jesus using this illustration. But there is, uh, there is truth to that to an extent that sheep know nothing except to wander or to follow their leader. Sheep know nothing except to wander around and get caught up or get destroyed or killed or eaten or whatever. But if they have one that they're following, they literally will just follow it wherever, wherever he or she leads them. And Jesus takes this simple illustration and he's talking to all these Jews who understand the idea of at nighttime they would bring the sheep and in the morning they would take them out and they'd call them by name. Wherever the shepherd go, the sheep would follow as well. Jesus uses this simple illustration and he says in this picture... I'm the shepherd. In this picture, I'm the good shepherd and you're the sheep. What Jesus was simply saying was, I am to those who are called by my name. I am to those who are believers. Those who, looking back now, when you go to Romans chapter 10, it says, all those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord... You become what? Saved, right? So now looking back, we realize when Jesus says to be saved in John chapter 10, he's saying to all those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, become sheep. You with me? They are sheep. Jesus is saying in this passage that I am the good shepherd of those sheep. I am. I don't have a good, I don't have a good idea of where they should go. I, I don't have some philosophy of how they should live their life, necessarily. Jesus wasn't saying, I, I have some principles for them to live by. Could you imagine if a shepherd just wrote up some principles on a door so the sheep like look at it and somehow understand where they need to go in life? The illustration applies to us. The idea is that you and I have no idea where to go. With our soul... And the yearnings of our spirit, we will wander until we die. And the picture is Jesus saying, you need a good shepherd. And if you're a sheep, therefore you're a child of God. If you're not a sheep, 
it's because you haven't confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and therefore you're just a goat. Because there's goats and there's sheep. Jesus is simply saying, I am the good shepherd. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd. Now we could stop there and go home, or we can dive into this and try to find out what does this mean to us as sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the primary and I am the only. Would you say that word with me? Primary? primary. Come on, say primary, primary. and only. only. Say only. It's, it's really important that you realize that Jesus did not say, I am a good shepherd. Jesus did not say, I am a good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the primary and he is the only shepherd of your soul. He is the primary and the only source of spiritual food for your life. He is the primary and the only source of protection for your eternal destiny. He is the primary and the, and the only, very, very important, the only source of life, of peace, of joy, of security, of strength, of destiny, of direction, of purpose, of meaning, of belonging. He says, I am the only one to lead you and to shepherd you. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am your pastor. Not me. Jesus says, I am your pastor. I am your only pastor. I am the only true pastor. If you see any pastoring, it's because I have come inside of a human being and pastored through them. Sheep need to be taught. Jesus says, I am the only teacher. If you see teaching, it's because Christ has come inside of a human being and taught through them by his grace. Jesus is the only prophet for the sheep. If you see any prophecy, it's because Christ has, by his grace, I've come inside of a human being and prophesied through them. I am the only one that governs my church. If you see any right governing and leading, it's because Christ Jesus himself has come inside of a human being and governed and led through them. When you read the New Testament, you don't see Paul calling other people pastor. Let me just think about that for a minute. You don't see him uh, calling other people father. He talks about the idea that he fathers people and that he became a father by preaching the gospel. But Jesus says, call nobody else father. In other words, Jesus is saying, call nobody else pastor. I'm not saying you can't honor somebody and, and see the grace of a pastor in their life. To some of you, this is like Greek to your ears. But those of you who understand what I'm saying, please bear with me because it's important. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is the only pastor. He chooses to pastor you, of course, through a person. And 
through himself and his spirit, the Holy Spirit, personally in a closet with you or in your vehicle or in the shower or walking down your hallway. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, he's always leading you. Don't ask. Listen to me. Some of you might say, Gabe, that's just schematics. That, to me, you're, you're just, no, no, this is really important. You understand how to, how to understand your relationship with God. It's very important you understand how to relate with him because you understand, if you don't understand how to relate with him, you'll just treat him as though he were a genie or as though he were a dishwasher. And we must relate with him as the person of the Father and as the person of a shepherd and a provider. And so therefore, if he is leading you, let us not ask him to lead us. Let us ask him as the good shepherd. If he is really a good shepherd, then he therefore is leading us. Let, him, let us ask him, Lord, where are you leading us? And some of you might say that's not a big deal, but it is a big deal because you're misunderstanding who he is, and now you're relating with him as a thing and not a person. And if he's a person of the good shepherd, then therefore as a good shepherd, he will lead you. Therefore, your job as the sheep is to find out where is he leading you. Not to ask him to lead. It's not to ask him to provide. He will provide because as a good shepherd, he always provides. As a good shepherd, he always provides. He's faithful. He cannot not provide. He will provide. Your job is to find out where and how is he providing. If you need a job, he's provided a job because you're alive and therefore he wants you to live, to work. Unto him. If you need money, whatever. You need food, he's provided it. You need life, you need joy, you need peace. Whatever it is, that which you need, he has provided it for you. Let's jump over and we'll go back and forth. But let's look at a sheep now. Our job as a sheep, when you read this story here, Jesus says the sheep do what? They listen to his voice, they know his voice, and they follow him. You with me? What, what is your role in life? It's very, very simple. We've complicated in Christianity. I really wish that when I first got saved, it was the, the gospel and, and, and religion and relationship with God and Christianity was simplified it for me like this, because it wasn't. It, it was, it, there's too many structures and things and philosophies and principles and all these things, but really Jesus summarizes it right here. He just says, the sheep, they, they just know my voice and follow me. That, that's, that's pretty much it. He says, the sheep know me and are known by me. Now, what am I saying? Don't substitute Jesus Christ, the shepherd, for a man. Don't look for your provision from a man or a woman. Don't look for your source of provision from an event. Hear me now. 
Because a lot of us find their source of provision from an event called Generation Ministries on a Thursday night. And you find life in being here, which that is good to a degree. Because if this whole thing stops and persecution comes to the Church of America, which I hope and pray it does not, but if it did, and we were forced to meet in places where we were not seen, then your relationship with Jesus dies, if it even was there. And you don't even have a relationship with God anymore because you found your life and your provision here. I love being here because I get to know and love you and make him known and because I get to experience him. But don't get it confused. Don't find your source of life or provision in an event, in a conference. Oh, man, that guy's coming. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait. There's nothing wrong with receiving from the grace. I need to define grace real quick because if I don't define grace, uh, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. It's really important you understand this because when I talk about Jesus being your only pastor, you must understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, that he is your only pastor. You with me? So when I say Jesus is your only pastor, I literally mean he is your only pastor. I will not stand before God whether you do good or not in life. And there's teaching out there. One day I'm going to stand before God for the, sh- for the care of these sheep, and if, I, if they all went astray, I just am so judged and condemned by God. That's not true. You know Jesus says, in, or Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says that Jesus, the son that will be born, the government is on his shoulders. In other words, the leading and the governing of all of the people of God is on Jesus. Not on a man. Not on a principle, not on a structure, not on a philosophy. Jesus says, I will lead my church. I will guide my church. He says in Matthew chapter 16, I taught it about a month ago. He says, I will build my church. It's my church. I paid for it. I own it. I died for it. I live for it. It's my church. It's nobody else's. I will give it to none other. Now he does entrust stewardship to few, to some, who will by God's grace, which I'll define in a moment, He shepherds and pastors and leads through people, but only to a certain degree. Let me say this before I define grace. What I am trying to say and the heart of what I am trying to articulate and communicate tonight is that you would follow Jesus and not me. That you would follow Jesus and not me or another man or even a philosophy. If you, if you don't follow me and you follow Christ, then I have been successful. And any leader that tries to get them to follow themselves have only failed. Your job as a leader, if you call yourself a leader in any form or fashion, is to simply do what John the Baptist did when he saw Jesus Christ coming. He said, behold the Lamb of God. His job was simply and only to point other people to Jesus. And your job is to simply, like I said in the beginning, make him known, point him out, talk about him so that others would come into a personal, intimate relationship with their personal and good shepherd. My heart is not that you would find life in me, but that you would find life in knowing Jesus Christ. If you do that, then I have succeeded. See, to Paul, when he went from church to church, Paul was the apostle, the, the, the chief, if you will, most graced apostle, leader, founder of the churches of the, to the Gentiles. 
Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, to him, success was not how many people were in their church. To him, success was whether or not they kept the faith. Two words I needed to find, faith and grace. Let me first define faith real quick, and then I'll define grace. This is really important. Faith, whenever it is mentioned in the New Testament, is a new covenant word, and the purpose of faith, the word faith, simply means, it doesn't mean believe in a philosophy. It doesn't mean believe in a doctrine. It doesn't mean I believe in Christianity. I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe in a doctrine. I believe into the person of Jesus Christ. The word faith is a new covenant word, and it simply means to engage, to draw near to, to adhere to, and to put yourself into a person doesn't necessarily mean this mystical fairy tale belief that you have about some foreign and distant thing. It means Jesus is here and you either choose by faith to draw near to him and engage with him or you don't, you don't believe and you don't engage with him. You with me? Faith simply means to engage with Jesus Christ. So when the Bible talks about faith, it's speaking of those who draw near to God. If you don't agree with me, talk to me afterwards. I'll prove you wrong. It's really important you understand. Faith is not some mystical idea that, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I hear that all the time. Is that person a, born, is that person a believer? Oh, yeah, well, they believe in God. Okay, well, all people believe in Santa Claus, too. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything to me. It, when, when, I, when I talk about stirring up your faith, I'm saying draw near to Jesus. Okay, now grace. Grace is not mercy. You've heard Mark Drake, Pastor Mark Drake, when he comes, it's time to time, maybe you've read his book, maybe you've heard him, but he talks about this as well. But grace is not mercy. It's not pity. Mercy is mercy. God chose to use two different words. Mercy is one thing. It means God chose to show you pity. When he could have brought judgment, he chose out of his love for you to show mercy. Instead of judging you and condemning you, he chose to forgive you. That's mercy. It's not grace. Grace is the word charis, which simply means gift. It's God's gift. It's him giving something to a person, disregarding their merit, disregarding their work. They didn't earn for it. It's just simply benevolence of God. He chose to give. By grace you have been saved. It was not just a thing. It was a person that stepped into your life and transformed you in a moment. Grace is more of a person than it is a thing. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. It's a person, Jesus Christ. Why? How can you say that? Because God gave a gift. What was the gift? Come on, what was the gift? It was Jesus. Was it a thing? No, it wasn't a thing. The gift, the grace of God is Jesus. Jesus, it says in first, or John chapter 1, verses uh, 17 and 18, that, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And those who have received Jesus Christ receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The actual Greek tense simply means you just never stop receiving grace as long as you keep engaging by faith with Jesus Christ. So grace simply is this. It's the person of Jesus, the gift of God, coming into your life and living through you. That's grace. You with me? So when somebody sins against you, you don't show them grace, you show them mercy. If you want to show them grace, then you bless them and you encourage them. That's grace. You're giving to them. You with me? Now, if I hear somebody say it, I'm not going to correct you because it's not that big of a deal. As long as you understand, the, this, this is all that I'm asking you to understand. That as you draw near to God by faith, that his grace, his life, the person of Christ, 
lives in and through you. You with me? That's a new covenant. Whenever you read faith, we talk about the fight of faith and test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13. And the fight of faith, first, or first Timothy 5, I think, or 2 Timothy 5. Whenever you, whenever you read that or you hear anything about faith, it's always this. It doesn't mean this mystical belief of a fairy tale. Okay, you with me? It, it, it means it's an action. It's a decision to engage with Jesus Christ. So if you're lacking in faith, that just simply means you're not pursuing Jesus. If you're strong in faith, that simply means that you're what? Pursuing Jesus. So why do I say all that? I say a lot to say this. God, by his grace, Christ living in me, okay, will choose to pastor or teach or prophesy, whatever, through me or other people as a vessel. I'm a conduit. I'm simply a vessel. But who's the one doing it? I'm teaching tonight. Who's the one doing it? Come on, somebody. Who is the one doing it? That's really good because I'm, I don't know how to pastor. And I don't know how to teach. And I don't know how to prophesy. And I don't know how to exhort. And I don't know how to do any of those things. I'm just a conduit who wants to be with Jesus. And as I'm with him, he chooses to express himself through me. Don't get caught up in your gifts. Just get caught up in the person of Jesus. If you get caught in the person of Jesus, you won't get caught up in that you're a prophet or you're a teacher or you're a pastor or you're an evangelist or you're a whatever. You'll get caught up in that I'm Jesus Christ. And however he desires to express himself through me today, so be his will. Now, I say all that so that you would realize if I'm sitting with you at coffee and God is choosing to express himself through me in a way of counseling to lead you, to encourage you in, other, in any way, I want you to realize that it's not me. That one day I may not even be there that God will still, because he who, Jesus, is the good shepherd, will continue to shepherd you. It's really important to understand this so that when you see grace, life, the, the person of Jesus being given to you or to somebody, you must really understand that it's not them, it's just Jesus. Paul says it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. And the Son of God. What is it? I live by engaging myself in the person of the Son of God. And as I do that, he lives in you. Are you catching the picture? I, I, I'm wanting to teach a little bit of both because I really want you to understand that Jesus is your shepherd. And he will choose a shepherd th- through other people. But you, may, you must not mistake it. God wants you to know him and to follow him. He is your leader. He is your pastor. He is your shepherd. I am not your pastor. If you choose... To receive from me and the form and the function of a pastor or a teacher or a prophet, then I encourage you, you should do that. Because if God chooses to do that through me, then let him do that through me. But remember who's doing it. You with me? Remember who's doing it. I say all this because I really want you to know Jesus. I say all this because I really just want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus and not live off my faith or Mick Drick's faith or Reed Anderson's faith or Brad Brisson's faith or Josh Tanner's faith or Molly Knuckleby's faith. I really, really want you to live off your own engaging in Jesus Christ. He's your shepherd. And he really wants to know you. 
but he really wants to be known by you. And you have to make your decision as a sheep to either listen to his voice and follow him to know him or not to. This is what Jesus is saying. As a shepherd, I meet your every need, and I am your everything. Come to me. I won't teach you some good ideas. I'll just just keep bringing you closer and closer to me. Christianity isn't about God teaching you some good ideas. Christianity is about a God drawing you closer to him, and in him is the only good idea. What is it, Gabriel? It's just being with him. That's the only good idea. <laughs> I'm humbled to be a conduit of Jesus Christ. And all of you need to realize that you're supposed to be and are called to be a conduit of him as well. Simply somebody who draws near to him to be with him. And as you be with him, he chooses to go, you know, today I'm going to express myself through Gabriel in this way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to climb up on the side of him and make my home in him today. And I'm going to live through him. I fail as a pastor or leader if when I leave and God sends me somewhere else, which I'm not going anywhere right now, I failed if all I got you to do is believe in me. I failed if I in any way try to get you to believe in me. I succeeded if I brought you and led you to Jesus. John the Baptist was a really good youth pastor. Because all he did was just said, hey guys, you know, the time has come. I must decrease and he must increase. I must fade away. Because now, you, now he's here and I don't have anything else to do. Just go be with him. What do you mean, John? Trust me. If you're just with him, that's all you need. Just be with him. Just talk with him, to stay with him. That, you know that's the way John the Baptist pa- pastored. You know that because when, when in John chapter 1, the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus is walking. It's the first time that anybody encountered Jesus Christ since he was anointed as, as Christ. And he's walking and he stops and he goes, what do you want? He looks at him and says, what do you want? And the, the one thing they said was, I want to be where you are. They, they use the word uh, abiding. It's the same word we find in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, abide in the vine, abide in me. And all they say was, they must have been taught by, they must have been taught by John the Baptist, who ultimately God taught them, right? But they must have been taught John the Baptist to say, hey, when he comes, just stay with him. Just, just stay with him. Don't leave him. Just stay with him. And that's my heart. My heart is that some way, somehow, God might choose to, in the most honoring and humbling, humbled way, express himself through me, and teach you how to do the same. If I do that, I've succeeded. If I have in some way painted the picture of Jesus good enough by his grace, by his life in and through me, that you run to him and you have a personal issue with him, then my laboring has been successful. You with me? If Jesus is the good shepherd, then he's got your back. 
I love it. Let me finish with this as we close tonight. No one and no thing can snatch them out of my hand. Just Can we just rest in that for a minute? No one. Are you preaching one saved, all saved? I didn't say that. I'm just saying no one and nothing can snatch them out of your hand. And then he says this, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wait a minute, Jesus. So whose hand are they in? Yours or Jesus? Yours or the Father's? I'm really confused here because you must be. The answer is very simple. Both. The Father's got his hand around you. Jesus got his hand around you. And the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And it's just crazy. And nothing, nothing, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. And he will not. He will not let you go. In other words, it's very simple. The shepherd is leading you to the Father. And one day you'll stand before him. Why? Because Jesus don't make mistakes. You may make a mistake, but Jesus will make sure that you get to the Father. And no matter how far you may choose to run from him in your life, he will make sure that he goes and seeks out that sheep. Why? Because you're not a goat, you're a sheep. And he will find you and he will make sure that you're in the sheepfold. And he will make sure to get you the Father because he will make sure by his grace that you will be with God. But Gabriel, what about, I don't care what about all those other things. I just know that Jesus said, nobody snatched him out of my hand. Well, that means I've got to make sure that, that, I, that I'm pursuing. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say the, sh- the sheep got to make sure that they're, they're you know, no, it doesn't say that. Well, what about faith? He gave you faith. And he will keep giving you faith until you keep running and jumping and, and biting and engaging with him. Jesus will never let you be stripped from his hand. So just be with him and rest in that and love him and adore him and appreciate him. And when you see him through another person, receive it. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter their ethnicity, just receive him. Because that's Jesus. Amen? Would you stand up with me? You stand with me, please. Gosh, Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Elaine and Seth, can we have you have you two come up and uh, just kind of do a, a acoustic, um, whatever songs on your heart, real quick? And I want to. I like this. Feel led to, to sing. And, and, and do one more song. I really hope you realize that I'm being redundant. I hope that you realize that I'm just not going to stop talking about Jesus until the day that I die. And that I'm not going to stop trying to paint a good picture of who he really is until I realize that my job's done. And one day my job will be done. But my purpose won't. My job will end, but my purpose won't. My purpose will just be to be with Jesus. There's so much more in my heart, but if I could sum it up, because I like summing it up. Follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. Follow Jesus. Be with this is what it's all about. Pastors and preachers make it about so many other things. And forgive me and forgive us. It's just about Jesus. Don't look for don't look for another philosophy. 
Don't look for some new thing. There is no other new thing. If you want a philosophy, I got it. Just be with Jesus. It's really that simple. What about me becoming more like him? Yeah, it's really amazing. As you just be with him, he does that. It's not the purpose. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's what happens. It's the byproduct. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You're kind of like making him an idol. I know. I know. He's, he's the perfect American idol. He's a perfect Chinese idol. He's a perfect Antarctica idol. He's a perfect South American idol. Come on, somebody. He's a perfect Japanese idol. He's a perfect Caucasian, African-American. I don't care what color you are, what ethnicity you are. He is the perfect idol. He's the perfect one to put your focus and your attention and your adoration and your praise and your worship. He is the only one who is God. There is none beside him. There is none other leading you. There is none other shepherding you. There's none other pastoring you. There's none other providing for you. There's none other that is holding on to you. There's none other that's providing for your food. There's none other that's giving you life and sustaining you. There's none other. There's just Jesus. So let's, by faith, engage with Jesus just for a moment, just for a moment. And then when we end here, just keep engaging, just keep engaging. Walk in faith, the Bible says. So, Lord, we engage.